All right. God, you are so just impactful in our lives. Well, good morning, Stonebridge. Um, <laughs> let me just start by saying um, last week, um, we greatly appreciate all the patience that you had with us. Um, <laughs> Matt stepping in um, and uh, doing yeoman's work on short notice. Um, uh, from my family to our church family, we are just so thankful to all of you. Just the, the prayers, the, the meals, the, the kind words, the thoughts. Um, I can't tell you how meaningful that is uh, to be supported by a church family like you guys. And um, that's awesome. So, so uh, we're blessed I, I could have my wife here this week, too, which is, which is good. Uh, so she actually won't uh, be uh, yelling at me through a screen or anything. Uh, first, uh, I just uh, I had a, a slide uh, I would like uh, if we could uh, show here. Um, if anybody has that. Okay, good. There we go. So <laughs> just wanted to uh, talk about uh, some of the passage that we're going over includes uh, Luke 10, verse 2. And so there's probably swag that some of you guys have seen uh, from Cornerstone in Ames. Uh, and when you're displaying any swag or modeling it, you have to have a smoking hot model. So I thought, uh, uh, how apropos uh, to have her. Um, but uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, the 1002 request part, uh, one request 1002. So under that context, um, it's a call to action for people to pray more, uh, specifically to pray at least from Cornerstone for more workers in the field. But the reason that I bring that up is we have been uh, programming our cell phone's alarm clock to go off at 10.02, so that way we pray on a daily basis and are reminded of that. And I just wanted to encourage you, if you are not doing daily prayer, perhaps maybe consider setting your alarm clock so you can be reminded to pray. And maybe it's not for workers in the field. Maybe it's to come talk to God about issues in your life, to be with him. So I uh, just wanted to uh, bring that up. Um, otherwise, um, prayer, I think, is a good place to start with our message today. So uh, I would like you to join me in prayer. God, we just uh, are thankful for this day, thankful for our our church family, God. God, I pray that you will just bless the message today, God. Um, just help it to be received for those that need to receive it, God. I pray that you will, you will just have words flow out of me that are through the Spirit, that are just speaking truth to people, God. God, I pray that um, it, will, it will just be glorifying to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so main point of our message today, um, for those of you that like to kind of get the dessert first or the, the highlights and everything, rich reward of commitment, it requires a cost, an investment, if you will. It requires faith and humility. 
So let's talk about that a little bit. What does a commitment to Christ cost? Well, three things. It can cost your physical comfort, your material possessions, your home, your luxury, things that you value. It can cost familial peace or even your closest relationships, your friendships. It can also cost social acceptance. It can even leave you socially unaccepted. It can leave you ostracized in society. And you see, this is something that is important. God has a blueprint for us. And the majority of people in this world, and countless examples have been made even in, within the Bible, people who miss out the potential for their lives following God's blueprint because of their own personal choices and desires. God's plan for the Israelites of a promised land. Many, many, many people, an entire generation died in the wilderness because of how they did not want to make those commitments to God. How many of us are currently not reaching our godly blueprint for our lives? So if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now I want to also call your attention to Matthew 8, 19 through 21, which is really a companion passage to this and uh, really follows the same process uh, of these two verses. However, describes the person that's talking to Jesus as a scribe. Now, for those of you that may not know, in those times, we obviously did not have book presses. We didn't have the Bible at our fingertips. So scribes were people who personally memorized scripture, wrote it down. So the person that's talking to Jesus as a scribe, this man has a lot of biblical knowledge. He has a lot of head faith. And yet, in this, Jesus is point, pointing out that though he has head faith, he has some heart issues that are holding him back. As Matt had spoken a couple weeks ago, at this time of this passage, Jesus just got done trying to get a place to rest in a Samaritan village on the way to Jerusalem. He was denied sleep there by the Samaritans. And under this backdrop, Jesus is saying, look, I created this earth. I can't even get a place to sleep. I'm not welcome. Animals are in more comfortable places than me. And this is also shown biblically through Christmas story that we have just discussed too. If we think about that, Christ was born in a manger. He did not even have a nice bed of straw given to him. Not a place to stay. And so this is repeatedly shown that following Christ, to 
go with him, you're going to have to give up a lot of comfort. Physical comfort. Material comforts. Possessions. A home. Maybe it's a luxury. See, Christ is telling this scribe, and he's telling us, it is time for us to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. We need to look at our possessions, we need to look at our affluence, we need to look at our luxuries and see if they are holding us back. Are they an idol in our lives? Well, how do we know this? How do we know if things are idols in our lives? Well, let's make some interesting comparisons here. Let's talk about social media. Now, the interesting graphic uh, behind me, if you'll, if you'll look at that, has a lot of data, but I want to point out a couple of things, and this is from October of 2020. First, it says that 53% of people are spending two and a half hours of time on social media per day. Now, this is global data. This is including the entire population of the planet. Now, when we look at the entire population of the planet, 99% of them cannot even afford a car. So what is the likelihood that all of these people are just that low percentage in the United States? It's not. I'm sure that number is quite askew. I'm sure it's significantly higher in the United States. So let's compare social media use to other statistics. Lifeway Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention, they surveyed uh, 860 pastors, and the findings of that survey were fascinating. They found that uh, of pastors surveyed, the media amount of prayer was just 30 minutes a day, I say just, that that includes di dinner prayers, putting your kids down, a lot of habits that we have. The mean of 39 minutes, most younger pastors were not satisfied with their prayer lives, but yet even older pastors, they tended to spend as much time in prayer. Now, I broke it down a little bit as well along, or along uh, um, lines of you know, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Methodists, etc. But the point is prayer time, priorities, on average 30 minutes per day. And that's for pastors. I can only imagine what time we spend as congregants praying on a daily basis. And I want to contrast that also with time in the Word. Christianity Today had published uh, an article study that they had done. Between early 2019 and 2020, the percentage of U.S. adults who were surveyed said that their daily Bible reading, daily Bible reading, had dropped from 14% to 9%. Commitment requires a cost. It requires a sacrifice. And there is no doubt some of the material comforts that we have in our American culture comes at a cost, at a cost to our relationship with our Father. Time stolen from getting in the Word, time from prayer, time from communing with our Heavenly Father, 
Maybe, just maybe, it's putting down these cell phones. Maybe, just maybe, it's picking up our Bibles and spending more time on a daily basis with him. Going to verse 59, there's a second would-be disciple that Jesus is talking to. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury the dead. You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. You see, commitment, it requires being okay with letting go of our closest relationships. So this likely second would-be disciple is addressing Jesus, and Jesus is talking to him in the typical rabbinical way, saying, follow me. That's typically a rabbi would tell a candidate, follow me, after they've gone through this process of intensively learning and following this rabbi for, for several years, where it breaks from traditional rabbinical culture is that this second likely would-be disciple surely was not following Jesus for years, surely was not intensively doing this. And so he also has heart problems. He says, Lord first, Lord first let me. And then he proceeds to put the Lord last. He still owes a responsibility to his father. Now, actually, at that time when he said, Lord, first let me bury my father, he was probably not talking about his dad having just died. What he was actually talking about is at that time period, sons had a responsibility to their biological fathers to work for them until they had died, taking over then their trade, their business. And so what that means is we can't put our worldly identity before God. If we dig deeper and we're letting ourselves put our jobs or our vocation first, we can't let that be an idol in our lives and hold us back. I'm going to speak myself uh, to this working too much. Too many activities, uh, missing time, missing kids singing at school, activities, I had a time in my life where somebody had to tell me, look, Chris, you're missing out on too much. And I was working too many hours, 60 hours a week, Monday through Friday, prioritizing work over my most important mission field, my kids, my wife, at the cost of relationship with them. And yet, I contrast this, which many of you have been aware, of lost time with my dad. My dad not being there when they divorced my mom. And yet, I was doing the same thing, not being there. See, I had justified what I was doing sprinkle in a little bit of self-righteousness there because I still lived at home. And yet, being half present as a father and as a husband is no better than being completely absent relationally in your primary mission field. 
I'm still working on that. Still working on that. But this passage has just resonated to me in my life. I too have had heart issues, and I think if we all look in our lives, we've all had heart issues. Jesus' response is harsh. He says, what does he say? He doesn't mean dead people are supposed to be burying dead people. What he's saying is this. Do not give the best part of your spiritual lives trying to do something that a spiritually dead person can do just as well. God is our Lord. He's not our job. Sharing the gospel, the gospel of our only living Father, our loving God, our only true God, our provider, our beginning, our ending, our alpha and omega. That is our job. There's more. We've gone through about six verses, so I'm going to try and move through here. Um, Verse 61. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When you mow or when you're farming, before GPS systems, I guess, were implemented, too. I have to qualify that. Um, In order to maintain straight rows, what do we do? We look ahead. We keep our eye on where we are going. And why do we do that? Why don't we look at our cell phones while we're mowing? Why don't we look at our iWatch or or whatever distraction that that you want? Because you want to get straight rows. You want to get to that destination. You want to do the best job that you can in farming. And so we're trying to get in life to this destination, which is the kingdom of heaven. And we can't keep looking back. We can't keep just allowing distraction for us. And I want to bring this home uh, a little bit more. Um, How many of you have been to Disney World? Show of hands. Okay. So some of you have. That's good. Um, So Disney World, it's interesting how it's set up. There's several highways that go to it. Um, And when you're going on these highways, there are all of these billboards. Billboards about Epcot Center and about the Magical Kingdom and about all of the wonderful actors and actresses that you'll see, the different rides and all these uh, just amazing features of, of Disney World. So what would it look like if we're going down the highway and we see this billboard and we stop? Not only do we stop, we pull out our lawn chairs, we pull out a picnic, have a couple of drinks and and eat a lunch and just marvel at, wow, you know, that that Princess Anna uh, billboard looks just so lifelike. No, we don't do that. We want to get to that destination. And yet it's like that for us, except instead of billboards, we have these idols in our lives. We have these relationships that we allow ourselves to have. You see, we have these these wonderful hints at 
the amazing glory that is in heaven. Foods, wonderful things, relationships, and yet we also have even uh, and money that allows us to be blessed to, to do things to glorify God. But all of these things, our homes, our possessions, all of these things can become idols in our lives. We can't let these idols, these billboards, stop us in this trip to get to our end destination, which... Disney World's awesome, but is nothing comparing to the kingdom of heaven. And so under that context, I just think it's very important uh, that, we, that we realize that these things are good, but the biggest thing that we need in our lives is salvation to reach that destination. And we have to completely turn away from our old ways we can't look back at people in our lives who are keeping us down. We have to go on the straight and narrow. We have to go straight along these roads. And it is a choice that we have to make. So to these three would-be disciples, Christ is not only looking at their head faith, but he sees into their heart. And he sees that there is something holding them back. And he can see that in all of us. So this speaks to the utmost importance of prayerfully looking at our lives and seeing what is holding us back. We need to identify what idols we have in our lives, and we need to look at those who are not breathing life into our lives. And we need to sacrifice those relationships. We need to realize that the beauty of this commitment, of this sacrifice, is in and of itself an act of faith in our salvation, and we can't lose sight that the work of Christ dying for our sins is already done. Not just for our lives, but for others as well. So going to chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of them in pairs to every town and every place where he himself was about to go. He told them, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So when we read this passage again, we have this appropriate farming reference for, for Iowans. And this harvest, it's abundant. And what is Christ saying? Is there a lot of work that needs to be done on these people? No, he's saying, I've already done the work. I have broken the dirt. I have planted the seeds. I have provided sunshine, water, fertilized, loud growth in these people. He has provided everything that is needed, and these people are ready. And that has to be so emboldening to us to go faithfully and share the gospel to help with that harvest, because Christ has already done the work. Verse 3, now I'm going to send you out like lambs among the wolves. Don't carry a money bag, a traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, 
eating and drinking what they offer, for the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. When you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things that they sit before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you. The start of this passage is so consistent with themes throughout the Bible. We look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Our God provides what we need for these people, although what he is asking for them is to go about in faith toward him. What he's not telling these people is, hey, you need to travel lightly so you can go cover a lot of distance. He's not literally telling them these things. But what he is saying is that he is sovereign. He is providing for everything, all that you need. And all you have to do is go in faith and serve me. And this gospel spirit of love shown through faith, boldly going and sharing, is how people are to do this work sharing the gospel, performing blessings to people given that authority by God. And the beauty of this is he's given us authority. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And what does that authority look like? 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, to the performing of miracles to another, prophecy to another, distinguishing between spirits to another, different kinds of tongues to another, interpretation of tongues. What does this look like in our lives if we are boldly, faithfully going about our prayer lives, knowing that God is sovereign and has blessed us all with many gifts? What if he has given us a gift that we are not using? What if we have a gift of healing and somebody comes to us asking for prayer for healing that's a coworker or somebody that we may not know that well and we don't pray for them? Don't let those gifts go to waste. Verse 10, when you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping off even the dust of your town that clings to our feet as a witness against you. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that of that town. The unrepentant towns. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And then to 17, the return of the 72. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, 
Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. A lot there. So what is he not saying? Well, first, we have to go back to commitment requiring humility. He is not saying, get on a microphone, yell at people on a corner, you're going to hell. He is not telling us to weaponize our righteousness in some holier-than-thou antagonistic manner. We have already established what we need, what all of us need, is salvation. And guess what? God is the provider. We do not need to worry about food, a bed, worldly friends, a job, social media. We don't need to worry about that. He's provided for it. He's provided it for us. And we also need to be watching to make sure that those are not becoming idols in our lives. What we need to do is decide, are we sheep or are we goats? In Matthew 25, 31 to 46, uh, I'm going to kind of shrink it down a little bit and summarize, uh, if that's okay. Um, Christ returns and separates people into sheep and goats, one side versus the other of, um, of the uh, uh, God here. And so on the right, sheep, on the left, goats. And so later on, um, he uh, basically, in separating these people, is explaining why they become sheeps or goats. Because of what they've done to the least of these or what they've not done to the least of these. So the importance of that is that Christ has the authority. Christ knows what we do and what we don't do, even when he's commanded us. Earlier in chapter 9, James and John were rebuked by Jesus because they had asked, shall we call fire down on these people who refuse to allow you to stay? He's telling them to act in faith, stay in the straight and narrow, and to have faith that he is sovereign he will take care of separating the wheat from the chaff. He will separate the sheep from the goats. We should be committing ourselves to following him with humility because God is righteous and it is not up to us to judge. In verse 20, Jesus starts to speak to our reward for that commitment. We can rejoice because our names are written in heaven. Going to verse 21. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Then, turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things that you hear, but didn't hear them. 
In this passage, Jesus is sharing to those that can see it who he is. He is the Son of God. He's boldly sharing not with the wise, not with the powerful, but rather with the most needy, those that are the least, unable to provide themselves. The gospel message that he is wanting us to share is best summarized in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way to the Father, to our rich reward in heaven, is through following Christ, listening to his loving invitation to follow him. But that commitment has a cost. It requires faith. It requires humility. Let's humbly do his will, acting in faith, sharing boldly with the least, and let's look at our lives and ensure that we are not wasting the best part of our spiritual lives on this earth, doing things who are dead can surely do just as well. If you'll join me in prayer. God, we just want to follow you, God. We know that following you requires a commitment, God. God, I pray that you will just help us to, to find things that may be holding us back in our lives, to, to root that out of our lives, to not look back, God. God, I pray that you will just help us as a church family to find more time to pray, to get into the word, God, to strengthen our relationship with you. God, I, we just thank you for the gift that you've given us, God, salvation, heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.